A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can make a change. We need a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. This is an ode to Napa cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings. No other cabbage would do, because no other cabbage tastes like you. We love you, Napa cabbage. Just don't tell Green Onion. Napa cabbage, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty, flavorful Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. On episode 39 of Confessions of a Marketer, we're going deeper on rebranding. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. Today, I've got Path Factory VP of Marketing, Elle Wolf, back in for part two of our discussion about the rebrand she led at Path Factory. We'll get to that chat in just a moment. I want to let you know that we'll be starting a Confessions of a Marketer newsletter soon. We'll cover the wisdom, insights, and highlights of our many stellar guests with a featured episode and a few episodes in a complimentary theme. Just getting this idea going, and I'm hoping to release the first one in the next week or so. All right, so what's coming up? Well, next time, we have Bill Burkhart, president of Wonderman Data Management, in for a discussion about turning data into stories. Soon, we'll have Jeremy Goldman in to discuss the future of marketing. Super Union's Greg Quinton, who's chief creative officer there, will join us to discuss great design and more. And we'll be joined by Beth Monahan of Inkhouse to discuss fear and the future of PR. As I mentioned last time, I've got a new podcast I've been cooking up with influencer and investor Garnett Harriman, The Innovation Podcast. There's a preview episode available. Hope you were able to give it a listen. Garnett and I plan to talk with people who are changing things and on the leading edge of change, pushing innovation to the limits. So far, we've talked with a couple of people, and those chats will go live soon. Plus, Garnett is on location at CES this week and we'll have some chats from there to share. This should be a fun endeavor, and I hope you'll subscribe. It's on Apple Podcasts, pretty much everywhere else that you get your podcasts, and is available at theipod.fireside.fm. So on to part two of my chat with L. Wolf. We covered the rebrand pretty deeply last time. This time, L. tells me her secret weapon how long the process was, what she learned that might help you if you're contemplating a rebrand, and what, if anything, she'd do differently. Hope you enjoy the chat. Let's get to it. So I had this great custom avatar that our designer made of me. And I do a lot of public speaking and stuff. So I, I like to use the avatar. It was fun. It, you could tell it was me. People would see it and say, oh, that's <laughs> that's that's definitely you. It's like a little illustration of you. That's so cute. And she kind of at one point was like, you have to stop using that. That's like in the old brand. And I was like, so sad, you know. But it gave us a chance to like figure out, well, what does our new style look like? What's the sure. new thing that we can do? Right. Yeah. And um, I mean, again, this is the one thing I'll say. This is the secret weapon in case people are, are, are wondering. I am so lucky to have two very talented designers sit on my team. And it's hard to recruit 
great creatives into the B2B space. Because often, if you're a great creative, like the last place you want to go is boring old B2B and do boring old B2B work, right? So I think that if you want great creative, you have to promise that it's not going to be boring, that they'll have some autonomy and leeway to do good work that's fun and interesting. And we have a ton of fun. I mean, again, like we push the envelope, I think, on the creativity side, even though the marketers that we market to tend to be pretty left brained. I mean, we market to demand gen, marketing ops, you know, it's a pretty analytical crowd, but they're still marketers at heart and they like, you know, visual storytelling and they like good creative. And so, you know, I I just have found in, in past organizations, I've outsourced all my creative, worked with agencies, and that's fine. But I just think, you know, having this internal design capability and such great designers has just helped us to be really fast and agile and and just do really just great creative. Yeah. And I've had several guests on the podcast who really believe that B2B is something that should go away as a term because we're marketing to people. And yeah, yeah. they're a part of a big business, but you're still marketing to a person. That's right. Yeah. I mean, ultimately you'll do a deal with a company. That's, that's who's going to pay, who's going to pay the, you know, the cost of, of whatever you're selling. But your, your buyer is a human who, you know, liked you or uh, decided to do business with you for reasons. And some of those are product specific and vision. And, but some of them have to do with, you know, confidence in your brand and accessibility of your brand and the human element of how they interacted with people at your company. Like all of these things factor into why people decide to buy from a company. And I know that's true for me. And I think, you know, B2B buyers have changed a lot over the past several years. The, The expectations that they have have, you know, have really evolved. I mean, I am now used to coming home and turning on Netflix and having Netflix know exactly (laughs) who I am and what I love and what I binge on and what I want to see. And they are surfacing content recommendations to me that are unbelievably relevant. So I don't have to wade through all this garbage to find the one, like, it's like you're right there. You can consume what you want in the moment that you want. And so I think B2B buyers expect a similar experience when they are engaging with the B2B companies that they're trying to do business with. They want it to be convenient and fast and accessible. They want it to be highly personalized. And so I think that, you know, whatever we decide to call them, but I mean, today they're still called B2B companies. Um, We as marketers need to get better at providing that kind of experience. Not only, you know, I've actually, I'm, I'm a big fan of what the guys at Drift are doing. And I've paid a lot of attention to this idea that, you know, brand really does drive demand because, you know, it's the it's the whole experience that someone has with your company that helps them decide whether or not they're going to purchase from you. And so I think that if you're, you know, sort of robotic and how you <laughs> approach that and don't think about the whole picture and don't think about the whole experience for the buyer, making it personalized and relevant and accessible and easy and beautiful and all of those things you know, you're first of all, not doing yourself any favors, you're not helping your buyer at all. And chances are some other vendors going to come and do it better. So I think we just all need to work harder at that. Absolutely. So from the moment you talked with your agency, and they said, Hey, uh, have you ever thought of doing a rebrand until it went live? How long a process was that? It was I'm gonna count on my fingers. January. I'm going to say probably five and a half months, maybe six all in. And that's from making the decision, selecting the name, 
building out the identity system, and then literally building every single asset that we launched with, including a website and rebranding lots of content and moving our domain over. And I mean, we had a really big unveiling at that Serious Decisions event in May where people got to that show and all of a sudden they were like, oh, who is Path Factory? Like, right. I mean, we had, we had upgraded our presence at that event. So we had a really big booth and we had done all kinds of promotion and we had social campaigns running and we had all kinds of paid display campaigns running and we ran a big email campaign and we bought a bunch of media. I mean, we just like pulled out all the stops. Um, So it's funny. I I wasn't worried about it. Like we had this really elaborate project tracker and calendar to back into it. I mean, you're talking about, I, I mean, I have a team of 10, including me, but really there's probably five people who are very actively involved in this project. So five people are, are managing this whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. Which is not a lot of people because once we actually kind of settled on the identity system, the agency didn't create too much for us. They did a, a little explainer video and a few other smaller things. But for the most part, we brought everything in house and started to do all the work ourselves. We built the website ourselves and, and all that stuff. And it wasn't until like we started to get, it's, it's like we, we were like referring to it as the doomsday clock you'd be like oh my god it's 20 days it's 20 days now and then you're starting to go like holy cow like we have so many things we need to do so the end was like a little stressful oh i bet um, i won't yeah. lie yeah i mean we also had it was funny you know we had um two customers we're very lucky to have really really great engaged advocates and so we had two customers who were speaking giving case studies for us at the event um and you know it's like we had to make sure that their presentations were all branded properly and using the right language. And like, it was just, it was just a lot of orchestration toward the end there. But I can honestly say, I mean, nothing really fell through the cracks and it all, it all went off without a hitch. So, you know, there's a woman on my team who I knew would just put this thing in a stranglehold and project manage it to death. And she did. She was unbelievable in her focus on the details and the schedule and the timing and just chasing people down. And so uh, it really takes a good project manager, I think, to pull that off on such a tight timeline, and especially if you're going to do it all in-house. Every good marketing group needs someone like that. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, You may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. So what did you learn through this process that you'd like to share with someone who's maybe contemplating a rebrand in 2019? That's such a good question. Well, I mean, you know, it's funny. I never think of myself as a brand marketer. You know, it's not where I came from. It's not who I am. Although I have had really great brand marketing influences in my life. I've worked for a couple of CMOs who had pretty strong, you know, had come from the the BDC side and had strong backgrounds in in brand, but it just wasn't my my background. And so I almost had this sort of like imposter syndrome through this whole (laughs) thing of like, I have no business rebranding a company. What am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. But I think like it really comes down to knowing your customer and knowing your your category and your space and your market. And if you know all those things intimately, like anyone can orchestrate a rebrand because what you're trying to do is tap into, you know, the sentiment or the feeling or the point of view that you really want to have, you know, be, be resonant throughout everything you do. And so it's less about knowing about branding and more about really knowing about who you are as an organization and and what you're trying to accomplish. So um, that was one big thing. And now I'm like, hey, I'm a brand marketer now, right? (laughs) And And I think more and more of these, these two things are inexplicably intertwined. I mean, again, like brand really does drive demand. Like 
how your brand is perceived and the experience people have with it and the point of view that you portray and all of that stuff is what ultimately culminates in qualified demand coming in the door. I mean, it's it starts there. So, you know, that was one thing. You know, I think, again, I have certainly worked in organizations that I know could never have achieved this. Um, they could, couldn't have gotten it done on this timeline. It wouldn't have moved as smoothly and fluidly. And that has a lot to do with with leadership, I think, yeah. you know, I, I work for a great CEO who hires people because he believes they know how to do those jobs. And he puts a lot of faith and trust into those people. And he doesn't, you know, throw up unnecessary walls and get in their way and, you know, question them to death. I mean, he gets in, he gets involved and he asks a lot of questions, but there's no ego. It's, it's not about him being right or him trying to, you know, exert his opinion. Um, it's about him trying to be educated and understand things. And so, and I, I honestly think that's one of the biggest blockers. It's just like stakeholder management. Sure. I actually wrote a, wrote a blog post about this. And so we just, we don't operate that way um, as, a, as a management team at Path Factory. You know, when, it, you know, when someone is doing something in their department that is their purview to do, you know, it's not about going and getting buy-in and, and, you know, making sure that, you know, everybody's, you know, checked the box or whatever. It's just, it's not what we do. Um, yeah. And that allowed us to, to accomplish this. So, and then the other piece of it is like, uh, you know, I think that in marketing, like we sometimes let the pendulum swing a little too far and, you know, in the direction of being overly analytical, like everybody's looking for some single source of truth or some one magic metric that's going to tell them it's all going to be okay or that they're <laughs> making the right choice. And sometimes that doesn't exist. Sometimes you have to look at something that you feel is directionally accurate and, and guiding and be confident and, and, you know, take educated steps. And so I, I could totally see a project like this just getting super caught up in just analysis paralysis and yeah, like stakeholder buy-in and other, you know, things that I just don't think are super productive for growing businesses. I mean, I think that's part of what helps us to operate the way we do is that, we are growing really fast and we do have a lot of momentum. And the second that we start to kind of to do some of those things, it just slows everybody down. Um, yeah. So, you know, you have to always kind of operate with this mindset of like, well, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> and as long <laughs> as you've explored that and you're comfortable with that, then you're probably okay. Yeah. But in, in the last thing is what I said, you know, to accomplish a project like this, I actually think, you know, you, you, you have to, you have to be willing to make some choices. I mean, we had to make some hard choices about things we'd leave behind and things that just could not be done in time. And, and we had to be okay with that and sort of say like, look, if we can't get these things done, then it's, you know, it's no go, but we're okay. If, you know, these few little things fall by the wayside, that's not a failure to us. And having somebody who was that single sort of, lieutenant for driving the project forward and keeping everybody on timelines and doing all that stuff. I mean, that was just so essential to us. So yeah, I think if you're going to do it, you've got to have a, a just an expert project manager at the helm. That's good advice. So is there anything you do differently? I would give us more time. <laughs> I would have made, you know, it's, it's funny. Like we were, I think like nobody knows how to decide that they're going to rebrand. Like it's like you've never done it before. So you don't know how to, it's like, are we making this decision? Are we saying we'll move forward? And so I think we were all weirdly like, not trepidatious, but it was like, are, like, are we saying yes? Like, what does it mean to say yes? Should we move forward? And I think that this, the, we got off the starting blocks a little slow and that caused us a bit of pain. 
Um, so that's one thing. I mean, I do think like it was, you know, it was it was a it was a lot of work to get it done in, in the time frame that we did it. Although I also think that those kind of constraints breed a lot of, you know, creativity and, mm-hmm. and uh, resourcefulness. And so that's not necessarily a bad thing. If I had given us 12 months, like we maybe we wouldn't have done such a great job. I don't know. Right. But it would have been nice. I'm just like a tiny bit more breathing room. You know, the other thing is I do think uh, it goes back to something I said earlier this is a chance to talk to your market. Your rebrand is an opportunity to tell the story of why you're rebranding. Now, unless it's for terrible, like, you know, unless you've had an Enron style scandal, you know, if there's something positive to talk about, use it as your platform. I don't see enough brands do that. Again, I think they go quietly sort of through this process as opposed to like, let's shout it from every possible rooftop and find creative ways to get the message out there. And so I maybe would have even found ways to do more of that. Like, I mean, we tried to get, you know, it's hard to get media attention in, in our category. And so we didn't get a lot of pickup on it, but I would have liked to get sort of greater amplification even than we got. I do think tying it to a major event, whether that's you're about to announce a round of funding or, you know, some other huge, I mean, we, we re- announced the rebrand in conjunction with a very big expansion of our product that we launched a serious decision. So it gave us a, a platform to tell a really big story, which was nice. And I think you do need to have that. Beyond that, you know, other things I would do differently. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, it's mainly about the time. I mean, you know, anytime you're crunched for time like that, you always kind of go like, oh, did we think about that thing enough? Or did we do, you know, it's just little bits and pieces. I, I may have spent a little bit more time on here and there. But no, no major, no major regrets, to be honest with you. And I'm, I'm fully, you know, I think... I said early on in the process, like when we started to, to go through, you know, the, the, you know, exploring the identity and stuff, and we had already decided on the name. I, I woke up one day and I was like, Path Factory, like that's a company I want to work for. Like, I can't wait to work for that company. Right. Um, and that was really exciting, right? Like, it's just like, you couldn't wait to sort of build this, this new thing. So, you know, no, I mean, it was a super positive experience overall. Well, this has been a great chat, Al. Thanks for joining me. And I'm sure that the listeners will Take a lot of what you said to heart, and uh, it's great advice. And, uh, you know, I, I guess the thing I'm left with is it sounds like it was a great experience. This kind of thing could have been a nightmare. I mean, again, I think that is about... I can tell you, I have worked at companies where I think it would have been a nightmare. <laughs> um, <so laughs> I may I have worked there with be, you. I, I... You might have. You might have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, really fortunate to be surrounded by sane, rational people. Path Factory is a Toronto-based business, so a lot of Canadians, and they. I just this is my second Canadian-based business that I've worked for, and I just find I I would I aspire to be Canadian because um, <laughs> I just find that from a, a workplace point of view. I just, I, I, most Canadians that I've worked with have been easier to work with. Um, and so, you know, that made it a lot easier. But I also like, you know, I got to develop a whole new skill set and like, ex, you know, expand a part of my brain that I had not used before. Right. So it was a super positive. It was a fun project. And it's a thing that I get to take with me for the rest of my life. And it's a big accomplishment, not just for me, but it was such a great, you know, oh, I, I mean, I'm so pleased that I could give this opportunity and experience to the people on my team who can now take it with them for the rest of their lives and say, I did that. Like, that to me is great as a manager to be able to like put a big, giant, fun, interesting project on people's plates, right? You don't get yeah. to do that every day. So don't be afraid. Uh, rebrands do not need to be scary. Pick a great partner, pick a great somebody you trust that you want to work closely with. Make sure you have the right resources. And, and the other bit of 
advice I will say, I spoke to a few people early on who marketers who had gone through rebrands and I did find out where all their bodies were buried. And, <laughs> and, you know, I got some really good advice about things to do and not to do. That was very, very helpful in the early stages as I was thinking about, could we pull this off or not? So definitely, you know, tap into that. I, I have since, I know it's a, it's a topic people are interested in because I have since spoken to many marketers who have lots of questions about it. So yeah. my door is always open if you have questions. <laughs> Great. Thanks again, Al, for joining me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Al for being here. Next time, Bill Burkhart, president of Wonderman Data on turning data into stories. So stay tuned. This episode of Confessions of a Marketer was written, produced, and edited by yours truly. T. Jordan of A-Class Productions wrote the theme music. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Reed Edwards Global, Inc., and this episode is copyright 2019. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time. You've never tried to eyeball six feet as often as you do now. You wear a mask, you wash your hands, and you've stayed within the walls of your apartment for more hours than you care to add up. But unless you live in a smoke-free building, you're not exactly home free. Secondhand smoke drifting through the cracks in walls or sink drains carries toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. And right now, lung health is key. Go to tobaccofreeca.com to learn how to stay safe.